It's been a while. No. <laughs> it's been a while since we've no. recorded. No. An actor assassin. <laughs> bang, bang. I'm the big buck of this lick. If any of you want to try it, come on and wet your horn. I'll be here all night. I'm Abe Lincoln. Thank you. <laughs> Friends, welcome to the Season 2 opener of the Presequential Podcast, where we go from 1 to 45 in under 90 and discuss the life, legacy, and little-known facts about every American president. Season 2 is sponsored by our friends at Greek's Pizzeria. If you love delicious pizza, go to greekspizzeria.com to order your delicious pizza today. Greek's Pizzeria. It's our taste. I'm your host, Ryan Allwart, joined as always by Blaine Zimmerman and our producer and vice presidential expert, Russ Slivka. Gentlemen, it's season two opener tonight. How are we doing? Uh, well, it's a considerably different look in the kitchen. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and why is that, Blaine? Because of our friends at Greek's Pizzeria. We have these brand new Shore mics and... It's a giant contraption, and I feel like I'm on an episode of the Joe Rogan Show. <laughs> Minus the uh, the conversations about drugs and the like. Well, we'll see. Well, we'll see. Yeah. It is the 1860s, after all. Blaine, besides choosing the biographies that we read for every episode, you also choose the drinks that we enjoy while we're recording the episode. So please tell us about the book and the drink for tonight. So the book is a well-known New York Times bestseller, A. Lincoln, A Biography, by Ronald C. White Jr., not to be confused with Ron White, uh, the stand-up comedian with the signs. Uh, And tonight, oh, this book came in at 606 pages. It was written in 2009. What is our total now? 7,153. Wow. We have eclipsed the 7,000-page mark. So we are almost Mm 7,000- Uh, going out of season one. Correct. And we went over it going into season two. That is correct. Got it. Yeah. And a lot of pages. This episode is going to be titled The Rail Splitter. Oh, I like that. And fittingly, we are drinking Rail Splitter IPA from the Triton Brewery here in Indianapolis, Indiana. It is just down the road next to Fort Benjamin Harrison, who I feel like will come up in future episodes. Oh, for sure it will. It is a local brewery, mm. and this is their uh, flagship beer. Cheers, boys. Rail Splitter IPA. Why is it called Rail Splitter, by the way? Why are we calling the episode Rail Splitter? I didn't look into it. Why is, oh, why is the episode called mm-hmm. the Rail Splitter? Um, that was one of his nicknames. I love and that you, you thought that I was putting you on the spot to be an expert about the beer. <laughs> about the beer, no. Uh, that was one of his nicknames, and as we'll find out, it comes into play yes. when we will talk about his campaign. And the campaign trail. All right, gentlemen, what do you remember about Abraham Lincoln from high school government, social studies, civics classes? Um, My mom had a crush on him growing up. Wow. Um, I immediately need to hear more about this. That's all I know. Wow. Uh, As a little girl. Yeah. As little girl. Your mom grew up in the 1860s? No. Um, I asked specifically if I was allowed to say that. And I was like, well, we'll, it'll be funny. It won't make you look bad, I promise. You're a good son. Let's see, 16th president, assassinated, Mm -hmm. uh, freed the slaves, lived in Indiana, and uh, was a tremendous wrestler. He's in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. He is indeed. He, he, uh, I think he won like 300 wrestling fights, matches. What do you call them? Uh, Bouts. Bouts. Yeah. (laughs) Russ? Uh, Big hat. Yep. Beard. Okay. Marfans? Right. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like George Mirasan, right? Is that the same one? Is that a different one? Uh, that's from My Giant, starring Billy Crystal. No, it yeah. was a real person. 
Yeah. I mean, nope. he was in my giant. He was fashion. in my giant. Yeah, <laughs> he was. But he had a disease, like it, the over oversized heart. I'm going to guess it was probably Marfan's. Okay. Marfan's, I don't think it's the enlarged heart. It's like the elongated limbs. But there is like something with oh. the heart in there. So know? it's not only fans. It's Marfan's. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <sighs> I remember that he won the Civil War, saved the country, and that he was uh, he's on Mount Rushmore. And uh, there's oh, the connection yeah. to uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, I Have a Dream speech, because mm-hmm. it was on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. I yeah. remember that. Famous uh, Guns N' Roses song about what's, him. What's that? I Don't Need No Civil War. Oh, that's, really? Actually, I think it's a direct quote from Lincoln. Okay. Yeah. That's why he ended it. He was like, I don't need no civil war. I hope hey, they gave him writing hey, credit on that. Hey, hey, hey. Just stop. <laughs> Let's dive into the early life of Abraham Lincoln. The rail splitter. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln, no middle name, by the way, was not given a middle name, was born on February 12th, 1809 in a one-room log cabin on Nolan Creek in the southeast of Hardin County, now LaRue County, Kentucky. He was the first president to be born outside of the 13 original colonies. Has some interesting ancestors' names. He was very into genealogy. He was more into his own genealogy than he was like learning about the founding fathers. He has a great-grandfather named Mordecai mm-hmm. and a grandmother named Bathsheba. Wow. Very Old Testament. Uh, excuse me, Russ. Very Torah-related names there. You can say Old Testament. <laughs> okay. Who <laughs> minds? Thank you. Yeah, Mordecai. That's a fun name. You don't he, hear that a whole lot. He later, in his sixty-page uh, biography that he wrote, autobiography. <laughs> wow. That's all it was. Described his mother relatively fascinatingly. When he was describing his father, he said he married Nancy Hanks, mother of the present subject. <laughs> that was was the description of his mom. Yeah, and himself, <laughs> the present subject. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, his parents, Thomas Lincoln and Nancy Hanks, were Baptist farmers. The Lincolns lived in Kentucky until 1816 when they all left for Perry County, Indiana, in the southwest part of our beloved Hoosier State. Illinois may be known as the land of Lincoln, but it was actually in Indiana that Lincoln spent his formative years. His mom died when he was only nine years old after drinking milk from a cow that had been poisoned by white snake root, whatever that is. His father mourned the mother and later remarried to Sarah Bush Johnston. Lincoln and his older sister Sarah were close to their new stepmother, and Abe actually referred to her as mother as opposed to calling her stepmother or Sarah. Lincoln was technically a middle child. The youngest Lincoln child, Tommy, tragically died in 1812 at only three days old. So... Also in his biography, he talks about when he was 10, he got kicked by a horse. And the quote's great. He says, in my 10th year, I was kicked by a horse and apparently killed for a time. Uh, <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> so he must have, like, went unconscious. Yeah. But they didn't have, they didn't know about TBI. <laughs> so he was like, yeah, I died for a while. Uh, the wrestler? Him? So, got kicked uh, in the face. Yeah. I think he's dead. He's right over there. We can go see him if you want. Really a, lanky. He lived in Indiana from age 7 to 21. And if you live here, you can get a license plate that says Lincoln's Boyhood Home. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's one of the multiple like custom license plates you can get. That's fun. He's a huge fan of Aesop's fables. And we're going to do a little foreshadowing here. Okay. Because his favorite fable was The Lion and Four Bulls. Hmm. And in The Lion and Four Bulls... The lion cannot attack the four bulls as long as they stand together in the pasture. As soon as they separate, they become easy prey. Hmm. So the moral of this fable is a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Oh, boy. Wow. That may come up later. It's going to, and I can't wait, Blaine. 
Thank you for that foreshadowing and the Aesop's Fable reference. Lincoln experienced another move shortly after when the family relocated to Macon County, Illinois, and Abraham suffered another heavy loss when his older sister Sarah died unexpectedly in childbirth in 1826. So he's already lost his mom, his younger brother, and now his oldest sister. So it's really just him and his dad with whom he would somewhat have some tension throughout the rest of his life. When going to Illinois, uh, they forded the Wabash River which is a river that I've swam across. Wasn't one of my smartest moments of my life, but this, I did. This wasn't did. part of like training. This was just a high school thing. No, we were in college uh-huh. and we were on a run and somebody was like, I bet you can't swim across Wabash. Uh-huh. I was like, well, you said the magic words. Sploosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got wow, yelled how was, at. How was the current? Uh, yeah, I didn't end on, like I was about 200 meters down. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but swift. I made it. Yeah, uh, so when he got to Springfield, mm-hmm. Illinois, the Justice of the Peace was Bowling Green. And I did not realize that was an, a person. I didn't realize that Bowling Green wasn't a human being. I was five seconds ago old when I just found out that that was not a place, but a... Well, I mean, it is a place. Well, yeah, but, but it's, it's actually named, named after... after Bowling Green. Wow. Yeah. Who was this person? Uh, the Justice of the Peace okay. of Springfield, Illinois. Wow, that's crazy. Cool. Abraham never went to college. He only had about 18 months of formal schooling when he was young, although he was an avid reader and he taught himself what he needed to know. He held many jobs and positions throughout his lifetime prior to entering politics. He fought in the Black Hawk War in 1832, served for three years as postmaster of New Salem, Illinois, and began his law practice in 1837. Five years later, in 1842, after a two-year engagement marked by one canceled wedding, Lincoln married the well-educated 23-year-old Mary Todd of Lexington, Kentucky. The Lincolns would go on to have four sons, Robert, Eddie, Willie, and Tad. Eddie died at age three. Willie was born ten months later. Much later, in 1862, while the family was in the White House, 11-year-old Willie sadly died of typhoid fever, and little Tad, who eventually recovered from typhoid fever he had at the same time as Willie, survived his father but died in 1871 at age 18. I have some points to make. Please. One, Willie haunts the White House. Uh, How do you know this? Like, Churchill was his song. Oh, apparently wow. like it's a well-known thing that willie haunts the white house oh, that's great. um so before he was married to mary todd he actually almost got married to two different women that's right his, his parents didn't approve of the marriage to mary todd which is one of the reasons the engagement lasted so long at one point his wife's sister or well, mary todd's sister wrote some article in the paper that he took credit for to try to protect the women because mm. it made a bunch of people mad so this guy named shields challenged him to a duel And so Lincoln was like, yeah, I wrestle people all the time. I'll take care of this. (laughs) Apparently, you were allowed to choose your weapon. Oh, my. And duels back then. And Lincoln chose swords. So, well, when you have like his wingspan, that's so, yeah, pretty smart. He shows up to the dueling field with swords, like chucks one over, and he's like, "Let's do this." And the guy like took one look at him. He's like, "You know what? It actually wasn't that bad." So, <laughs> <laughs> I misspoke. Yeah, that's so bold. I didn't know that you could pick. I just thought it was pistols. Yeah, so did I. Yeah. Wow, swords. Yeah, he was like, "Now we're swording, we're fencing, <laughs> we're doing this like knights." Yeah. Oh man, in 1835, at the age of 25, Lincoln won a seat in the Illinois State Legislature, where he would serve four terms until 1842. In 1846, he was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, and he served a single two-year term from 1847 to 49 as a member of the 
Whig Party. Mm-hmm. He gave a number of speeches against the Mexican-American War and criticized President Polk for entering into it. Lincoln actually demanded that President Polk show Congress the very spot where American blood had first been shed by the Mexican army. Although Congress did side with Lincoln on this issue, his demand of the president earned him the nickname of Spotty Lincoln among his fellow congressmen. So interestingly enough, if you remember that spot that he asked them to point out was the spot where General Taylor was like, the uh, festivities have commenced. Oh, he, you remember he just he was sent like that one letter key. that was yeah. like, it's happening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, he, the book kind of presupposes that he invented the idea of being anti-war but pro-troops. Okay. So he supported the veterans in the war, having been a captain himself in yes. the Black Hawk War. Just very limited action that he saw. He supported the veterans. He actually being, he was very pro Taylor when Taylor was running for president, but he was really against the war. Hmm. And it was the, really the first time somebody had taken that stance of being like, no, we're, we, those soldiers are just doing what you made them do. We don't think you should, they should be there, but we support them. We just don't support the concept. Got it. Interesting. After serving his one term in the House, Lincoln returned to his self-proclaimed profession as a prairie lawyer in Illinois. He actually took one of his cases to the U.S. Supreme Court on March 7th, 1849, but he lost before the nation's highest court, and the lanky prairie lawyer was becoming one of the most respected and feared lawmakers in Illinois. He actually was offered the governorship of Oregon in 1849 as well and declined. Good year to be invited out to the West Coast. Yeah. And then he, uh, yeah, 49. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's a good point. Mm -hmm. He actually gave President Taylor's eulogy in the traveling funeral when Mm -hmm. it was in Springfield. When you were talking about Oregon, I just remembered that I am in the place in Herbert Hoover's biography, number 31, where he's currently mining in Oregon. So Mm -hmm. that's just a little random little tangent there related to (laughs) Herbert Hoover. (laughs) After a brief return to his legal career, the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854 caught his attention and he spoke out against the spread of slavery. He ran for Senate in 1854 as a Whig, but was not elected. He became more and more disenchanted with the Whig Party and he started to become active in the newly formed Republican Party and was chosen to run as the party's vice presidential candidate in 1856. The Republicans, however, were not successful in this election. 1856, he did witness... uh Senator Brooks beat oh the living hell yes out of Senator Sumner with a cane <laughs> over a slavery argument yeah. on the House floor just walked just beat him within an inch of his life I think That's he was it. dead for a second for <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the moment I was killed <laughs> beaten over the face with a cane yeah yeah that was pretty uh, pretty violent there he uh, he gave when he switched from Whig to Republican mm-hmm. so obviously as we've cataloged. There were some issues in the Whig Party, mostly attention to detail. So when he switched over, he gave a 90-minute speech explaining why he was switching parties. Wow. And it so captivated the journalists, they forgot to take notes. That's right. So nobody has any real like recollection of this speech because it was so good. Yeah, the lost speech. And he had like a real weird voice, right? Yeah, it was very reedy. Oh, here it is. Described as described as a thin, high pitched falsetto voice with much carrying power. Okay. Yeah. So he had some projection power, but Mm -hmm. it was a higher register. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that like one of the things that Daniel Day Lewis was criticized for? Yeah. He actually had like the high pitched voice, and people were like, "Lincoln didn't sound like that." He's like, "No, actually, I did." Yeah. Like, uh, I'm Daniel Day Lewis. I get everything right. (laughs) 
Uh, yes, that is correct. It was a reedy, higher-pitched voice. Two years later, in 1858, Lincoln was nominated by the Republicans to run for the office of senator. When he made his acceptance speech for the nomination in 1858, he ran on a platform calling for the end of the expansion of slavery. His famous line from his nomination acceptance speech, which you alluded to earlier, Blaine, was, quote, a house divided against itself cannot stand, end quote, an allusion to Jesus's words in Mark chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 12. I thought it was from Aesop's fables. Maybe Aesop. I don't know. Were Jesus and Aesop contemporaries? When was Aesop around? Oh, I don't know. Producer Russ, <laughs> could you please look up yes, when Russ, Aesop was please around? Please look up something about Jesus for us. <laughs> Lincoln campaigned against his rival, Stephen Douglas, who believed that citizens should decide on issues in their own geographic area, such as slavery. During they had the, been rivals for a while. They, like, had they have been. been rivals going back to, what, 18... 18- 46 or 1838 yeah. yeah they they first went up against each other in court in 1838 that's right in yeah. springfield area yeah douglas was of course the democrat and a very well-known orator in his day it was also somewhat of a contrast visually because lincoln was our tallest president to date at six five i think and always wore his classic seven or eight inch stovetop hat and douglas was somewhat shorter so that was somewhat of a contrast there during and his debates like Douglas really went heavy on the racism. He like, really did. He, he, was, he really did. He realized like he was like, okay, so this guy wants to get rid of slavery. So maybe if I just go real heavy. Just pull out all the stops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that did not work. No. Uh, Lincoln, in these debates, gained fame and wound up winning the debates, but he actually lost the Senate election. Despite his defeat, Lincoln did so well at the Senate debate that he won the Republican nomination for president in 1860 against other high-profile candidates such as William Seward and Salmon Chase. The Democratic Party at the time was split over several issues, including slavery, and 11-year-old Grace Bedell, I think I'm pronouncing that right, of Westfield, New York, wrote him on October 15th, 1860, urging him to grow a beard. She told Lincoln, I'm going to try to read this in Grace's 11-year-old voice. You would look a great deal better, for your face is so thin. All the ladies like whiskers, and they would tease their husbands to vote for you, and then you would be president. Sincerely yours. 11-year-old Grace Bedell. She signed her age to Oh, that's just oh. me. <laughs> oh, man. Lincoln and his beard uh, defeated the split Democratic Party and became the president in 1860 with only 40% of the popular vote. Go ahead, Blaine. So his first campaign poster was on two rails, that, and they were allegedly made by Abe and his brother, and they claimed his father was the first pioneer in Macon County. Like wow. the, the sign in between the two rails said yeah. that. Neither were actually true. Hmm. They were just random rails that were found. And he was like, I don't know, other people had been in Macon County before that. <laughs> but that's where he got his nickname, the rail splitter. The rail splitter. Yeah. So a, a rail, I mean, he's chopping wood, yeah, making fences, basically. Mending fences. Wrestling people in between them. Just Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was man. I mean, he was probably hard to bring down. He was wiry. Well, yeah, he had a sword. (laughs) Yeah, that sword. Yeah, (laughs) two swords. Russ, what did you find about Aesop and uh, which was older? Was Aesop older or was Jesus older? Who knows? Okay, Uh, (laughs) Jesus was (laughs) thirty-three. What I know is that Aesop was an ancient Greek storyteller. Okay, I realize he was Greek. He lived 2,500 well, years ago. He's got that ago. A and E next, just put together. That's Greek, right? I think I would have figured it out. Yeah. yeah. 
He lived around 550 BC. Okay, okay. so right. Aesop's older. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's what the BC means, Russ. BCE. Before Sorry. Common Era. Yeah, that's what yeah. it is. Yeah. Okay, so Aesop was first. And this matches up with your timeline, Russ? Perfectly. Okay. So perhaps Jesus was borrowing from Aesop. But we're not theologians. No, yeah. No. Okay. Uh, can I go on a little bit of a beard tangent? Can I just go out on a whisker right now? I feel like you're gonna. Okay. <laughs> Though several of Lincoln's predecessors wore facial hair, such as a mustache or mutton chops, Lincoln was the first president to wear a full beard, Blaine, without Russ's help. Can you name Lincoln's four successors who wore a full beard? Go. Grant had and a full three beard. Three more. Uh, I don't know. He hates Mondays and loves lasagna. Oh, Garfield. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we were just at his house recently. Benjamin Harrison had yes. a beard. And you always forget this guy. Hayes. There it is. I'm so <laughs> proud of him. That I'm time. so proud of me. <laughs> yeah, prompting for you. walking me on the target. <laughs> we were walking on okay. beards now. I had him bracketed. We were like 50 left. All right. That's our beard tangent of the night. <laughs> That's Link- a good quiz. I'm yeah. real disappointed in myself. As uh, you should be. I, I agree. So is your mom, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I should. <laughs> I went there. Lincoln won without carrying any southern states, and politicians from the region immediately became more open when discussing... Why didn't he win any southern rebellion? states, Ryan? Well, because they It's didn't hard vote. to win a state when you're not on the ballot. Can I vote for that northern guy, the tall guy with the hat? Did you not know that, Russ? I did not. He was that. not on the ballot I'm, in any I'm, of the southern states. I'm looking here, and it only says, let's see, traitor. Uh, <laughs> check that box, or let's see. Nope, nobody else. Uh, I did want to point out that yes. one of the, the, the people he was running against, so the Democrats nominated Stephen Douglas and John Breckinridge, and then John Bell was running on something called the Constitutional Union Ticket. Whew, wow. I have a feeling, just... An inkling. We may. Go ahead. (laughs) Yamo, burn this place down. Uh, (laughs) We may see another party with constitutional union in it soon. Right. Yeah. There's a strong tide. As we are recording, it is uh, mid early May of 2021. So we. That may come back. Yeah, may come back. So, yeah, by the time Lincoln was inaugurated in March of 1861, seven states had already seceded with more to follow after. Also, Still, I'm going back to his campaign. The Illinois State Journal Mm -hmm. used an image of an elephant for Lincoln, which Uh. is the very first time an elephant was ever used as the image for the Republican Party. Do you know why it was an elephant? And it's okay if you don't. No, I just, I read my note exactly. Mm, Okay. So you didn't (laughs) write a note to your future self (laughs) to answer that question. Uh, Producer Russ, could you look up why is it the elephant? Oh, you don't know? You can't ask a leading question and not have the answer? I'm just generally curious and I... That would be like if you were like, name all the people with beards. Russ, figure it out. (laughs) And he's got a beautiful beard. Russ Russ has a beard. (laughs) He's a a beard expert. So the Confederacy ratifies their own constitution within the week of Lincoln's inauguration. And the first battle of the Civil War breaks out on April 12th, 1861, when Confederate Brigadier General P.G.T. Beauregard fired on Fort Sumter in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, So, go ahead. Before he left Springfield to go to Washington, Mary Todd burned all of their correspondence and gave their dog Fido to the neighbor. On his way there, their first stop was in Indianapolis, and he was kind of doing like, hey, I'll do speeches on the way. Yeah. As they were in, I believe, Philadelphia, they got intelligence that like 
somebody's going to try to kill you. Mm. So they put him in a like different car in a different like train car train car had him come in in the middle of the night like undercover so that the would-be assassins wouldn't be able to find him and assassinate him he was trying to be like open and everything about it but in the last possible leg they were like no they're gonna kill you yeah security and we'll talk about this a little bit later as we get into his assassination presidential security was very lax then compared to what it is now well it was all the way through mckinley yeah it was right. well, really. I mean, the Secret Service didn't do previous presidents until Truman, like, like nineteen oh one, I think, is no, when they started later. doing presidential detail. Yeah, but they didn't do president retired until oh, Truman. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, okay. yeah. The Confederates fire on Fort Sumter in Charleston, even South after he tried to get Sumter reinforced, and Congress said no. Yes, and they were just left hung out to dry. Yeah, and so he resupplied them and said, "Listen." These soldiers need food. They need arms. And the first shot came from the Confederate side. The first shot back from the Union camp came at 7 a.m. when Captain Abner Doubleday (laughs) fired a South Carolina shore battery. Why is his name familiar to you, Blaine? Because he invented baseball. Many people believe he did. It's it's, it's, it's a little, it's kind of gray. I did a little little bit of digging. It's a little gray. There's actually also, I believe... Uh, a relatively substantiated rumor yep. that on a like a barnstorming tour of the South after the Civil War, Abner Doubleday himself taught Woodrow Wilson and the other <laughs> local children in Georgia how to play baseball. Man, that's cool. Yeah. That's going to come back in episode 20-something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that's great. Russ, I would love to hear from you whatever I asked you to go look up, and then also I'd love to hear about you Lincoln's vice know- president. You want hold on. <laughs> you wanted to know why the elephant is the symbol of the Republican there it Party. Is. Yes. And before the vice president, I have some comments. Okay. Blaine was right. The Republican Party elephant first Naturally. came into play from a political cartoon. Okay. But the reason he put it in there is because of the phrase seeing the elephant. Have you heard that? Like talking about the elephant that's in the room? Nope. Hmm. No. That sounds like elephant. something like the CIA did to people like no. in the 60s. Well, <laughs> don't make me go see the elephant, man. So to see the elephant is okay. a piece of American English that dates to around the 1830s. Okay. Uh, seeing the elephant is an Americanism, refers to gaining experience of the world at a significant cost. So soldiers who go to war are said to be seeing the elephant. Huh. So I've seen the elephant. You've seen the elephant. You've huh. seen it twice, right? <laughs> I've seen two Afghanistan elephants. In Iraq? <laughs> yeah. Were you in Iraq as well? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Oh, interesting. I'm definitely using that now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> definitely. Well, when I saw Yeah, I've elephant. seen the elephant. Yeah, I saw it in the sandbox there. Back <laughs> so do you know yeah, who Lincoln's first choice was to command the Union Army? Oh, man, that's a really good question. Um, no, not off the top of my head. Robert E. Lee. Okay, now dive into this. So he, well, he was like top of his class. At yeah. West Point, he was well known as being the best general. Wait, it's coming he back. Yes, I do didn't remember this want now. want to leave Virginia. Mm-hmm. He could uh, never see himself firing upon mm-hmm. his uh, Virginian uh, fellow. Do you remember who the first Union officer to be killed was? Was it at Fort Sumter? Uh, no. Was it at Bull Run? Mm-mm. Wasn't at a battle at all. Really? Mm-hmm. No, I don't. So the first officer to be killed was Colonel Ellsworth, 
who was kind of like a son to President Lincoln. He was the first Union officer to be killed. He took a Confederate flag off of a hotel. And when he climbed the flagpole and took the Confederate flag off, he came down. The owner of the hotel shot him with a double barrel shotgun. Wow. And he was the first he was the first casualty that as an officer. Okay. And and I'm looking this up. The phrase remember Ellsworth became a rallying cry and a call to arms for the Union Army. Mm-hmm. And wow. we just remembered him. So we rallied the Union Army. Man. So we we kind of discussed. Yeah. The seven states seceded under Buchanan. Lincoln came in, tried to clean it up to avoid war at all costs. But obviously, like, there was no way. It was the—the train was already rolling. Yes. Much to Buchanan's ineptitude and and overall apathy and illusions. Granted, it's well known. The South did not like the concept of Lincoln coming. Correct. They knew he wanted to end slavery, so they were going to do whatever they could to not let that happen. So, Russ— his vice president, Andrew Johnson. Tell us about that. There was a vice president before Andrew Johnson? Yes. Okay. Just to be clear. That was a statement, <laughs> not a question. That was fun for me to see right Yeah. There. It really sounded like a question. Yeah. Go ahead. So Hannibal Hamlin. <laughs> There's a name. Is quite a name. Hannibal Hamlin. I, I think I've Big heard his name. Alliteration. Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Hannibal Hamlin. Where was he? Was he a Missouri guy? No. Okay. He was from Maine. Okay. All right. mm-hmm. Same thing. Yeah. Maine. Missouri, Maine. Yeah. Did they come in the same time? They did. They Maine, did. Maine, and, Maine and, Missouri. and Missouri came at the same time. Right? We get the, we get the sun Maine, first. Maine was part of the Missouri Compromise, weren't they? Uh, I'm pretty sure. I feel like it was more like sure. the Okay. I'm just going to look up Maine. It, it wasn't statehood. part of the Missouri Compromise, but it was like, once we brought Missouri and we'll bring Maine in. Following the Missouri Compromise. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. it was part of it. Way to go. Oh, way so to go, proud of you. Look at that. Look at you. <laughs> Under uh, which president? 1836. No. Eight, eight, 1820. 1826. John Quincy Adams. I'll accept it. I don't know. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not good at this fact-checking thing. Uh, Russ, continue with Tommy Lee Jones lookalike. That was Monroe. Uh, Hannibal uh, Hamlin. It, it was Monroe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you said, or as I said, he was the... <laughs> <laughs> who, uh, who keeps track? Who keeps it, track? It was James Monroe, by the way. Go ahead, please. Bam. Yeah. He was the representative for Maine, and he was very much anti-slavery, abolitionist. He wanted the emancipation of slaves. He was pushing hard for it. The anti-gag rule for oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah for the anti-slavery petitions. Mm-hmm. So the and- gag rule, just for those that haven't heard previous episodes, they weren't allowed to talk about the subject of eliminating slavery on the Senate floor. There was a gag rule. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. He also helped shape the Wilmot Proviso. I feel like it should be a silent T. 1846. Wilmo? Wilmo. It was the proposal to ban slavery in territory acquired from Mexico in the war. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. He actually argued constantly with Jefferson Davis (laughs) over slavery issues. (laughs) But I mean, how uh, it would be hard not to. Right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) It actually led him to start carrying a handgun because they were... You he know. should have done something about that. Yeah. Things could have been a lot different if oh, Hannibal man, that, would have been like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a really like Back to the Future kind of yeah. moment. Yeah, there's a lot of things would have been a lot different mm-hmm. with... if Hannibal Hanlon was running things. Yeah, exactly. He, he probably yelled that a lot. Yeah. Things would be a lot different <laughs> if I was running things. <laughs> Hannibal, sit down. Put the gun away. So he was a Democrat at the time and still wanted to stick with the party, but he really wanted to draw a difference. He wanted to make sure it was known that he was he was anti-slavery. And as the, you know, the newly formed Republican Party was getting on its feet, they actually reached out to him quite a bit to, hmm. uh, at least for guidance, if not to move over to the Republican Party. 
Was he a doe uh, a doe face as a northern Democrat? No. Okay. No, the doe faces were the northerners that sympathized with the south. south. Okay, he was the opposite was of that. He would have been in. what a, a bread face. He was the opposite. Is that not? Does that oh, analogy not hold? No, I don't know. A okay. loaf face. <laughs> yeah. A loaf face. So he was already cooked. <laughs> All right. Cheers. I don't think that makes sense. Does back it? back to the drawing. Russ, Things would back. be different if Hannibal <laughs> Hanlon were in charge. <laughs> <laughs> it's just imagine Yosemite Sam. I was specifically six shooters. Yeah. Is right. that what he looked like? He had red hair, big mustache. You uh, don't know because it was black and white. Well, <laughs> <laughs> he was actually described as swarthy. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. you know, darker skin. And, and a lot which, of hair. A lot of hair. Swarthy. That was swarthy. Yeah, it's swarthy. Uh-huh. Huh. Swarthy. Huh. I didn't know it was a lot of hair. Yeah, look it up. Like uh, the guy from Magnum P.I.? Uh, like, swarthy he... has nothing to do with hair. Uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, swarthy means uh, dark skinned. Yeah. Yeah. So when he was trying <laughs> to. Nix the swarthy. <laughs> We're leaving that. the swarthy in. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, no, right. To separate himself yes. on those lines, he resigned his chairmanship, okay. and he said, I love my country uh-huh. more than I love my party. And that's wow. why he... Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, a real, it's a real Blaine statement awesome. there. Yeah. I, I, I want to learn, based on that statement, Yeah, I want to learn more about this I'm fella. all in on Hannibal Hanlon. Yeah. yeah. More so, people should make that statement. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely yeah. agree. The anti-Martin Van Buren. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. he was not... That's I mean, that's probably safer yeah, than what yeah. I was thinking. I mean, he he stuck to his guns. Ooh, <laughs> stuck to his guns. Ooh, oh hey, yeah. no, Sammy Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Russ. I love that we haven't even gotten to Andrew Johnson yet. Do we need to? I Do mean, we, we're going to. We're doing. So Hannibal Hamlin was like the anti Johnson. Okay, like he really uh, believed in anti slavery and stuck to it. Yeah, you know, he didn't. Oh, Johnson didn't. I don't know. We'll find out, I guess. Who knows? Well, you know what? Uh, we're going to refresh our delicious Rail Splitter IPAs. I'd like to start by thanking Russ. That was fantastic. I would agree. I mean, good. coming out of the gate hot, season hot. two opener. Mm-hmm. Wow, Russ. <laughs> boom, boom. We're going to let you hear from another of our fantastic sponsors. <laughs> You're listening to episode 16, The Rail Splitter of the Presequential Podcast. Hey guys, it's Ryan. If you need custom-made t-shirts for your team or organization, look no further than our good friends here in Indy, The Art Press. The Art Press is a local, eco-friendly small business that's been around for years here in Indy, designing and printing all the super comfortable shirts you may have seen through their parent company's store, Vardigan. We've worked with them on our awesome new shirts that feature Thomas Jefferson writing a fire-breathing mastodon, and our experience couldn't have gone better. If you need help creating a design or you have your artwork ready, to print, Derek and the team at The Art Press can help you get your orders set up online quickly and easily. Plus, they ship everywhere and offer excellent customer service. Get a quote on your order of shirts today at theartpress.com. That's theartpress.com. Welcome back to the Season 2 opener, Episode 16, The Rail Splitter, on President Abraham Lincoln, brought to you by our friends at Greek's Pizzeria. Check them out at greekspizzeria.com. All right, the Civil War has now broken out in South Carolina. Blaine, you are an officer in our great nation's army, and I'm going to rely on you to walk us through the beginning of the Civil War, if you would. So I'd like to point out that that does not make me a Civil War historian. I'm going to skip some stuff. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get the Cliff's Notes version of this. You are our resident expert here at the table. So they lost the Battle of Bull Run at Manassas, the first major defeat of the war. They being mostly. the Union. Yeah, mostly due to Stonewall Jackson, because 
he was a great general. What Lincoln realized at that point was they needed real leadership. So Mm -hmm. one of the disadvantages Lincoln had was he didn't have the best generals to pick from to begin with because the majority of the generals that had a lot of experience and were highly rated all lived in the South and were in the Confederate Army. Liked Grant from afar, Mm -hmm. had never met him, had heard good things, but he had what he had. So he had uh, what McClellan and then Burnside, which is where we get the term sideburns. Yes. Uh, then he went hooker, which is actually where we get the term hooker. Mm-hmm. We'll so, dive into that in a sec. <laughs> yeah. Little little known fact. Yeah. Hooker was so well known for having women outside of his tents at these battles all yes. the time that they were known as hookers. Mm-hmm. And that is where we get the term hooker for prostitute now. It's stuck. And then eventually Meade and then Grant. So Jefferson Davis, he was a West Point grad, so he had a little bit of an advantage over Lincoln as far as understanding the tactics and understanding of where to put people in battle and things like that. So there were a lot of things that were going against Lincoln tactically mm-hmm. in this war. The one, the big thing that he had going for him was the majority of people and the supply line. Mm-hmm. Industry. Because, right. Because he had the majority of supplies, he had way more people to throw at the problem. Mm-hmm. So he names McClellan uh, General of the Union Army after Battle of Bull Run or Manassas, if you're listening from the South, because that's a fact. I don't know if many people know that. If you haven't traveled the United States, in the South, they still have separate names for a lot of these battles. They have a separate name for the war. The War of Northern Aggression. Yeah. So in the South, you would call this the Battle of Manassas. In the North, you'd call it the Battle of Bull Run. So he names Edwin Santon. The Secretary of War in 1862, Uh, Stanton ends up being his ride or die for a long time. Yeah. Right after, on the heels of Grant's unconditional surrender victory at Fort Donelson uh, is when Willie died and started haunting the White House. Wow. So he eventually fires McClellan in May of 1862 because McClellan did like nothing the entire time. He would never really go on the offensive. Right. There was a lot of foot dragging, right? There was. And that became a problem general after general with the Union Mm -hmm. Army. He actually named Halleck general of the Army of the Potomac over McClellan and then Pope, who both disliked him, Mm -hmm. like McClellan and Pope. Both disliked him. Halleck was also not that great. Were they Democrats? Um, I know McClellan was a Democrat. Was Halleck as well? Well, that was the other thing, was a lot of the generals were politicking this yeah, entire time, right. which I guess shouldn't be that surprising, but they all were kind of like thinking about their political futures yeah. rather than the task at hand. So then they lose at Manassas again. McClellan gets put back in charge, and then they have Antietam, which gives Lincoln— they, I mean, they call it a victory. is probably yeah. a stalemate— Gives Lincoln the chance to give the Emancipation Proclamation. Yes, that's on January 1st, 1863. I do want to shout out uh, to Ambrose Burnside. I learned he's an Indiana native, and we're all here in the great Hoosier state. Yeah, so anyway. Yeah, the Emancipation Proclamation was an executive order. It was a war measure. Give freedom to the slaves in the states where the anti-slavery rebellion had been subdued, and to allow uh, former slaves to fight on the side of the Union. This was the—now, granted, it caused a ton of turmoil, but it was the first giant step towards fulfilling our nation long neglected promise of liberty for all so once again another preface to all this yep i'm sure there are plenty of civil war buffs historians that are listening like i'm missing a lot i get it yeah 
Also, like, huge props <laughs> to the people that can do an entire podcast Gosh. by themselves. Yeah. Because I'm trying to get through this one thing, yeah. and it is very hard. So, the Senate actually caucused and cried for Seward and Chase to be fired. Okay. Uh, Salmon, P. Chase, yes. if you will. Lincoln listened to him and was like, okay. And then Seward and Chase tendered their resignations, and Lincoln was like, no, I need you. Mm. You're not resigning. Upon giving the Emancipation Proclamation, Lincoln said, I never in my life felt more certain I was doing right than I do signing this paper. So I would say when we kind of go through the list of what, McClellan, Halleck, Pope, oh. McClellan, uh, Burnside. Burnside, Hooker, Meade, probably wasn't the great at picking commanders. Right. However, he did have not the best to pick from. Mm -hmm. Right. In March of 1863, he signs the Conscription Act, which is the first national draft in history. So that's come up again a couple times yep. since then. Clement Vallandigham, V-A-L-L-A-N-D-I-G-H-A-M, purposely tried to undermine the administration in Ohio. So... They kind of went back to the Alien and Sedition Act. Oh, yeah, under uh, John Adams. Yeah, and Burnside arrested him, and Lincoln just handed him over to the Confederates as a POW. Wow. Yeah. Meade, now that he's in charge, yes. has this you know illness, just like everyone else, that doesn't want to go follow the enemy. Yeah, they were, they, right. They, he'd have them on the run, but he wouldn't go finish them off, correct? So... Gettysburg, yep. right? Meade is in charge of Gettysburg. It was a victory for the North. They had the opportunity to pursue, and Meade chose not to, mm -hmm. and basically extended the war for a few years. Yeah. And a lot of people think, you know, in American history, like Gettysburg into the war and right. everything was done. It was not. So Vicksburg fell the next day. In Mississippi. Yeah, and Lee was retreating from Gettysburg. Meade didn't follow him. They were able to reconsolidate, reorganize. And the thing that people don't realize is after Gettysburg, we still had Chattanooga and the Rock of Chickamauga that still mm -hmm. had to be fought, two mm -hmm. of the bloodiest battles in the war. Yeah. Eventually, he puts Grant in charge. Yeah. Right? So once again, we're glossing yep. all over a lot of stuff. In the middle of all of this, there are midterm elections. Think wow. about having an election while most of your country is fighting each other. Gosh. There were literally soldiers like voting on the battlefield. There were wagons rolling up with voting booths and ballots. They were voting, putting in the wagons and going. Wow. So he gets General Grant to close out the war. Fun, fun note. Go ahead. Lincoln was the fourth choice for the speaker at Gettysburg to dedicate the National Cemetery. Mm -hmm. It was about five months after the battle. He, he wasn't choice one, two, or three. Yeah. He was the fourth choice. And the Chicago Times was not a fan of his speech. So Sam and Chase ends up wanting to run for president. He's not really hiding it. He starts kind of getting at odds with President Lincoln. President Lincoln doesn't meet General Grant in person until 1864. Which is amazing. Yeah. I mean, this was interesting, too. I learned that uh, doing some other research that Lincoln had actually gone to the Library of Congress or maybe the War Department to effectively check out a library book. Again, he's an avid reader, right? Yeah. Earlier in his life, he wants to be a lawyer. He reads up on law. He becomes an expert on it as much as he can. With his constantly revolving door of generals, he said, I need to understand the large basic principles of warfare. And you can go and find when the book was returned. And it was shortly after he had found Grant and appointed him to be the guy because he said, I, I finally found yeah. my guy who gets it and who I can fully trust. 
So he was very hands-on throughout the Civil War, and Mm -hmm. he was learning the entire time. Like I said, he was behind Jefferson Davis in the learning curve because Jefferson Davis went to West Point. By the time he got General Grant, he was like, sweet, I have an aggressive general, and we're going to let Sherman just go wreck shop. Yeah. March to Atlanta, right? Yeah. Just burn it all down. Or the uh, the campaign to the sea? Is that what it was? March to the sea. Yeah. Yeah. So Chase finally resigns in June of 1864, and Lincoln finally accepts his resignation. He basically was under fire when uh, General Jubal early. Yes, this is uh, the Battle of Fort Stevens. His troops marched towards Washington, and came, and he came out to watch. So Madison wasn't the only one that... Lincoln was the second and last, to date, sitting president to be in such a position. You mentioned Madison at the Battle of... Remember? Uh, Starts with a B? No. Ends with Ladensburg. Ladensburg. There you go. In 1814. So that was terrifying to get through. Uh, That was Blaine's rendition of the Civil War. (laughs) You did a really good Uh, job. I'm going to drink I feel like I missed a lot of things. But we succinctly got through we did. the Civil War. I'm proud and I, of you. I know, please, like no angry emails. I know please. I missed stuff. Yeah. Uh, we did the best we could. That's a tough task. Uh, <laughs> we only have an hour and a half. <laughs> there's some things I want to go back to that were sort of the story within the story. On November 9th, 1863, a week before traveling to Gettysburg, where he would, of course, make his legendary address, Lincoln saw a dashing 26-year-old John Wilkes Booth perform at Ford's Theater in a play called The Marble Heart. Is that important? During the play, (laughs) it's a little bit of foreshadowing. Oh, okay. During the play, Booth directed several of his more villainous lines towards the presidential box where Lincoln was seated, leading one of Lincoln's companions to note that the actor seemed to be speaking right to him. (laughs) Lincoln replied, he does talk very sharp at me, doesn't he? Following the performance, Lincoln invited Booth to the White House, but Booth declined. As an infamous racist, Booth later stated that he would, quote, rather have the applause of a Negro to that of the president. So this was this was fomenting uh, wow. two years prior to them meeting again at Ford's Theater. You had mentioned that Lincoln was not even the first choice at Gettysburg to make the legendary address. The star speaker of the ceremony was Edward Everett, a former Harvard president, governor of Massachusetts, etc. And he lived up to his reputation as the greatest orator of the time with an epic 13,000-word speech that he delivered from memory over two oh, wow. hours. Two hours. This guy made it from memory. Lincoln then comes up at just around 270 words. Lincoln's speech took about three minutes to make, but it's lived on, of course, uh, Mm -hmm. as ever being like the shining example of national oratory. Lincoln, when addressing the crowd that day, said, quote, the world will little note nor long remember what we say here. How long ago? Uh, That was 1863. Four score and seven seven years years ago. ago. Blaine, I drink to you. This rail splitter IPA. Russ, what did you think of that? It was rough. It was great. It was succinct. <laughs> it was succinct. You did a great it's job. Succinct. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. I'll take that. Wipe the sweat away. Yeah, and uh, we'll keep going. So there were these Northerners. There was a big faction in the North, particularly in the Democratic Party, who wanted to stop the fighting and negotiate a two-state peace. And this group was called the Copperheads. They actually nominated McClellan. Mm-hmm. As their candidate to run against Lincoln in the election of 1864, Lincoln won the election of 64 with 55% of the popular vote and 91% of the Electoral College. Because of Sherman's victory in Atlanta. Yeah. That was the big yeah. turning point. Was like It was actually not looking good early for him against McClellan. Right. And then Sherman just, you know, did somebody say Georgia's a battleground state? Oh, God. 
<laughs> that was a good meme around the uh, November of last year. Yeah, he yeah. Uh, he took no prisoners. He... No, he did not. <laughs> William Tecumseh Sherman. Tecumseh. Tecumseh. Rumsey uh, Dumsey. Rumsey Dumsey. What was that from? That was uh, the the battle cry of someone. William Henry Harrison. Yeah, was that that episode? But that was what? where the... it was the guy who claimed to kill Tecumseh. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Rumsey Dumsey. Something Tecumseh. Anyway, the Republican Congress pushed the 13th Amendment through on January 31st, 1865, which effectively banned slavery. It was the first of three Reconstruction Amendments adopted following the war. Though the amendment abolished slavery throughout the states, some black Americans, particularly in the South, were subjected to other forms of involuntary labor, such as under the Black Codes, as well as subjected to white supremacist violence. On March 4th, 1865, Lincoln made his second inaugural address. John Wilkes Booth stood only 35 feet away from the president. They meet again, seething with hatred and dark motives. He had actually been working on a plan to abduct Lincoln and take him to Richmond, Virginia, the Confederate capital. So, so Lincoln makes his second inaugural. Uh, you know it, who he selects to the Supreme Court? Salmon P. Chase. Even after all that, really? he understood how like good Man. he would be as a Supreme Court justice. Man, that's cool. Uh, I don't know. I don't have the facts to back yeah. up whether or not he was a good Supreme Court justice or not. But So after the second inaugural, Frederick Douglass was barred yeah. that evening at the door trying to get into the White House to congratulate the president. Two policemen barred his entry, but Douglass made his way through a window and entered the East Room to see the president. As Douglas walked in, Lincoln loudly called out so all could hear, Here comes my friend Douglas. I am glad to see you. I saw you in the crowd today listening to my inaugural address. How did you like it? To which Douglas replied, Mr. Lincoln, I must not detain you with my poor opinion when there are thousands waiting to shake hands with you. No, no, Lincoln answered. You must stop a little, Douglas. There is no man in the country whose opinion I value more than yours. I want to know what you think of it. Mr. Lincoln, Douglas replied, that was a sacred effort. And he had conferred with him multiple times throughout the war yes like it was actually one of his meetings with frederick Douglass that made him realize like this is really like this is the fight of slavery like yeah. i mean i think it was yeah. it was always the underlying thing but preserve the his, union yeah but yes abolish slavery. Um, yeah and then we a little foreshadowing to a few episodes from now we just saw an interesting picture of frederick Douglass yes. here in indiana right? yeah yeah the uh, benjamin harrison benjamin harrison yeah, yeah it was really cool seeing him in the picture uh, so at this white house celebratory ball lincoln threw a banquet complete with one of his favorite foods drum roll please oysters oh <laughs> oyster that's ice cream. right yeah no, no oyster <laughs> ice cream this time but it was in both oh gosh i'm gonna try to get through this without vomiting in my mouth in both stew <clears throat> And that pickle, makes sense. And pickled form. Oh. oh. <sighs> hmm. It's still got to be more palatable than oh, oyster gosh. ice cream. <laughs> it has to be. <laughs> Who was that? Was that Madison? Uh, Dolly yeah, Madison? Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So speaking of Dolly Madison, yeah. uh, Mary Todd was the first like first lady since Dolly Madison to really put effort into like sprucing up the White House. Yeah, she really did. She was also like a temperance person so there was yep. no alcohol in any of the white house events yeah lincoln was never really known to be a drinking man yeah but yeah. i think we found out earlier today what was that drink called the jack ap something apple. jack rose it was jack called rose. a jack rose it's yeah. like very similar to an apple teeny yeah um we were trying to decide what to drink for the episode 
Rail Splitter made the most sense, but yeah. like it, it was his favorite beverage, although it was very <laughs> seldomly drank. I don't know how many of those we could have gotten through That's, tonight if we yeah, made that That would have been very sweet. <laughs> well, listen, speaking of beverages, we're going to refresh ours and let you hear from one of our sponsors before we dive into Lincoln's assassination, legacy, and little-known facts about him. You're listening to Episode 16, The Rail Splitter, the Presequential Podcast. Hey guys, it's Ryan. If you are in the market to refinance your mortgage and want an expert to walk you through that process, you need to schedule a call today with Austin Bowman at Caliber Home Loans. Austin's been a friend of mine for years and is one of Caliber's top performing loan consultants with over 14 years of experience and expertise. Austin's number one priority is honesty. He's going to listen to your unique needs and guide you through Caliber's superior processing, underwriting, and closing process. For a smooth, hassle-free process from application to closing on your new mortgage, email Austin Bowman today at austin.bowman, that's B-O-W-M-A-N, at caliberhomeloans.com. You can also find Austin's email in our show notes. Whatever you do, don't ask Austin about the time when he took me out for my first time golfing when we were 16 and we almost hit a goose with our cart. Guys, email austin.bowman at caliberhomeloans.com today. Welcome back. You're listening to episode 16. This is sponsored by our friends at Greek's Pizzeria. Check them out at greekspizzeria.com. The war is now over, and there are a lot who feel the South should be severely punished for the rebellion. Some wanted to hold rebels criminally accountable or levy huge fines against them, uh, make the southern states second-class status. But Lincoln, on the other hand, advocated amnesty and a swift return to an equal union through Reconstruction. On April 11th, 1865, Lincoln made a speech from the White House about giving voting rights to freed slaves, which many historians agree was the tipping point for John Wilkes Booth to shift his strategy from capturing Lincoln to actually assassinating him. The Grants were supposed to join the Lincolns at Ford's Theater the night of Lincoln's assassination, but Grant's wife, Julia, disliked Mary Lincoln. Oh, there's more to that. So a lot of people dislike Mary Lincoln. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, in fairness. So what's really interesting about that is John Wilkes Booth, there was a full like plot. It was supposed yes. to take out Grant, Seward, maybe? Seward. And Lincoln all on the same night. It was going to be a full coup. One of the guys, I don't remember who he was assigned to, uh -huh. whether it was Johnson or Seward, just went to the bar and got sloshed. It was Azerot. He was a German immigrant who was, uh, he and another guy, I think, were supposed to take out Johnson, but their nerves. Yeah. yeah. So they decided to go get drunk instead. Yep. yep. Grant decides, well, we're going home to uh -huh. what, New York, right? They were, they had a, like a place on like Long Island or I think, something. Yeah. Julia basically said, hey, can we cancel? Yeah. Like, I'm not dealing with that lady yep. tonight. And, and Lincoln said, do what your yeah, wife I get would it. Like. Yeah. <laughs> I live with her. Yeah, yeah. So instead, the Lincolns invited. But yeah, as ahead. they're leaving, uh -huh. uh, oh, a yes. guy rides up next to them. Yes, and Grant much. looks over and looks at John Wilkes Booth in the whites of his eyes. And John Wilkes Booth like realizes at that moment, like, well, this plan is foiled and rides yes. off. And the next day or the day after um, tomorrow, he brings up hey actually i saw that guy yeah like he came right up and he got a weird because grant had this thing that he didn't like riding in the carriage yes so he was riding up next to the guy driving the horse yeah the, the footman yeah and he his chauffeur if you will i will uh john wilkes booth rode up right next to him stared at him like guffawed yeah and rode off and he was really i mean the whoever you want to say brad pitt you know uh Derek zoolander of his day where he was a very recognizable celebrity yeah. george clooney maybe i mean very widely known and grant definitely knew it was him okay yeah 
Lin anyway. Manuel. What? That's pro- Lin Manuel. Miranda. Yeah. yeah, that's probably the easiest connection, right? Because there was a play that the president was at, and they spoke directly to him. Although with Lin Manuel was the vice president. Yes, you're right. Luckily, oh, yeah, there I was about no that. aftermath. I forgot about that. Well, Booth knew Ford's theater. There was your Hamilton reference, by the oh, way. Oh, drink. drink. That's right. Yeah, yeah, sorry, drink. If you're just now tuning in, and and that would make sense because Lincoln, yeah. heavy hitter on uh, episode we'll sixteen. We'll see you at FDR. <laughs> yeah, right on season three. <laughs> uh, we we drink every time. Really, any one of us, but mostly you, makes a Hamilton reference. I didn't think I was going to until you said he was at a play and directed something directly at the president. I was like, "There's our connection. There it is. <laughs> There's the thread." Well, Booth knew Ford's theater very well as a celebrated actor of his day, and he knew the staff and the actors as well, and he easily accessed the theater on April 14th, 1865, which was Good Friday. His intention was to totally take over the government. He would kill Lincoln, others were supposed to take out Seward, which actually Seward was stabbed almost to death. He was only saved because he had a neck brace Oh, I thought you were going to say cryogenically froze. (laughs) He's next to Walt Disney. (laughs) The way you, like, motioned your hands. So... He had, I think, suffered a carriage accident, had a neck brace on, and that saved Seward's life because this guy just broke into his house, slashed him to death, tried to kill him, but his neck brace saved him. Hmm. Uh, He definitely took a hit, but uh, he he survived. So Booth had drilled a spy hole into the door of the presidential box at Ford's Theater. He fashioned a block to hold the door shut once he was going to enter the box, and he had also arranged to have his horse held in the alley next to the theater. So if you're just some guy who's working at Ford's Theater backstage, and John Wilkes Booth walks up to you and says, hey, make sure my horse is here in about 15 minutes, you're going to go, okay, sir. I don't think I ever really knew that. Mm-hmm. I don't because the book doesn't really cover that. Yeah, there's, and, I mean, and there's, you're a thespian yourself, so you would of course know that. Yeah, so it was really interesting that he knew the space, voice that, thespian, and that also everybody <laughs> knew him, <laughs> voice thespian. I technically am a thespian. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, I'm yeah, aware. Yeah. So this was also interesting. Lincoln's bodyguard that night was named John Parker. He was a notorious drunk, and he got Lincoln into the presidential box. It was Lincoln, Mary, and their guests at the time since the the Grants declined. There was a Union colonel, Rathbone, and either his wife or female suitor, Clara, was with them. um, Guests of honor. Okay. Okay. So... John Parker gets the president and everybody into the box, and he slips back to the saloon in the theater to drink, which also, if you're an actor in the show, that was commonplace. Like, many people would just, if they're not on stage, hey, I'm going to go drink until it's my time. John Parker did the same thing. He was Lincoln's bodyguard at the time. He didn't even realize that Lincoln had eventually been killed until he showed up at the Metro Washington police station at midnight that night with a prostitute that he had arrested, found out that the president was killed, put two and two together— Oh, I wasn't there to stop the mm. assassin. Can it, I just take a side note? Go real ahead. Quick? Yeah. Your handling is so much better than I handled the Civil War. <laughs> like, you have one night, I had six years, right. and you're way more detail. It's like, all good. It's all good. I did a little bit extra reason. It's, it's fine. I didn't even know. You put me on the spot. So I'll, Oh, it's all good. You did a great that. job. Yeah. You did a fantastic uh, job. No, so you know, somehow, this guy, John Parker, remained a presidential bodyguard for a handful of years later until he was caught one too many times being drunk on duty. So somehow, This guy was like kept on the job and then they're like, we got to get rid of him. Oh, so he turned into like your classic TV detective. Yeah. Who's like, I've seen some stuff and now I drink too much and I break all the rules, but we bring the bad guy down. Yeah. And then they were like, like you got to go, man. Yeah. So it was the McNulty 
of the Civil War era for the Wire fans out there. Yeah, yeah. cool. Good reference. (laughs) Booth had a knife on him and a single-shot Derringer fired a large ball, and he crept into the presidential box after the play had resumed following the celebration of the president's arrival. So Abe and Mary were watching this play called Our American Cousin. You just took my one little known fact. Okay. Well, so it's it's tense. <laughs> what was your little known? Just the name of the play? What was the name of the yeah, play? Yeah. yeah. That's so, a great Jeopardy question. It is. I'm I'll, sure at this point, though, like if you're on Jeopardy, you know our American cousin. Our American cousin. Yeah. Was it funny? Like, it was a comedy. Oh, Yeah. Man. It was a comedy about a Yankee going overseas to Britain. And like, I think Lincoln resonated with the main character because he was just kind of a hayseed, you know, Yankee guy. Hilarious. So it's 1015 at night. Actor Harry Hawk, who's playing the title role in Our American Cousin, stands alone on stage. So he was the cousin? Uh, Maybe. Okay. (laughs) I think he was, yeah. Okay. And he aims a laugh-out-loud line at a female character who had just exited. The line was, literally the last words that Lincoln heard, Don't know the manners of good society, huh? Well, I guess I know enough to turn you inside out, old gal, you sockdologizing old man trap. Bang. So Booth, <laughs> wait, let's he didn't Mike say bring bang. That. Let's Mike bring that bang, bang, <laughs> kapow. Booth had timed his gunshot. He knew the play, so he knew when the laugh line was going to follow. And so that's part of this: him being an oh, actor assassin. Yeah, he knows. An okay, if I'm assassin. if, if I'm going to shoot <laughs> so the president, that's a thing. Yeah, an actor assassin is <laughs> real Charlie Manson. He's going to time it where the volume in the house is going to somewhat right. uh, die out the yeah. gunshot. Bang! Bang! So the audience at the play actually thought that the shot was part of the show for a brief period of time until they heard Mary screaming hysterically as she sat by her husband who was slumped over in his chair. So Booth shoots Lincoln. He slashes Colonel Rathbone in the arm down to the bone. And then he leaps from the presidential box about 11 feet down to stage, shouting as he jumped, Sick Semper Tyrannis, which was the Virginian state motto, thus always to tyrants. Booth broke his leg when he landed on stage, but he scrambled out of the theater, retrieved his horse, and headed to the southeast, escaping into Maryland. Now, there is a myth surrounding the term break a leg. Have you guys ever heard this in theater terminology? I mean, I've heard the term break, break a, leg. a leg. Yeah. Right. Not a great thing to say to marathoners right before they run. Oh, gosh, no. Yeah. So there's many different thoughts about the origin of this term. But one theory says that this term came from when Booth jumped from the presidential box onto stage that he broke his leg. Oh, this is yeah. actually not at all because that terminology didn't happen until like 40, 50 years later, the assassination. Huh. So yeah, 40 or 50 years later, they definitely wouldn't reference it. No. So back in the day and still to today in certain, in certain theaters, there's something called a leg that if the, the performer on stage were to perform so well the encouragement to this performer would be, hey, go break a leg. A leg is the rope that controls the curtain. So if oh. you're performing so well that you deserve multiple ovations, curtain calls, curtain calls yeah. you would perform so well that you would break that leg. So there's a bunch of different etymology theories that are out there about where this term comes from. But it is not about John Wilkes Booth. So, yeah, learn, learning a little something. There yeah. were eight co-conspirators, several of whom were hanged one of whom was Mary Surratt, the first female to be hanged, and then Samuel Mudd 
and a couple others uh, were sentenced to life. Which there was a lot of controversy around hanging her, right? Tons of controversy. Like, we're going to get more into that okay, in Andrew next Johnson's episode. episode. Yeah. yeah. The 56-year-old President Abraham Lincoln would be pronounced dead at 7.22 a.m. the next morning on April 15th, just days after the wars ended at Appomattox. Easter Sunday. Yes. He really has become, I mean, if you look at that in the national timeline, I mean, it was back when Jefferson and Adams both died on July 4th, the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, Lincoln literally dying the weekend of Easter. You know, you can see why he became sort of this martyr saint mm-hmm. of America. He was really the first president. I mean, he, not really. He was the first president to be assassinated. And so you can see where that legend really came through. I thought about this too, like he died happy. Oh, yeah. He died a happy man. He yeah. he had just, I mean, he and his generals, his soldiers, had won the war. Mm-hmm. He just the saw country, a, a much of the country line. is elated. He just heard he's at a comedy. Yeah, he's with his wife. He's laughing. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so everyone around him is freaking out. But he died yeah. happy. Sure, he, he'd just basically done sure. what he what he told the country. I'm going to do. I'm going to preserve the union, and then he does. Yeah. And he's at a comedy show. Yeah. And then he gets shot. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was, how the, was play? the play? <laughs> that's what my that's a great I line. love that line. Yeah. That's, Other than that, that's a that's a I don't know if it's a direct L Allward quote, but my dad oh. uses that a lot. Yeah. yeah. When someone's like complaining about something kind of mild, he'll go, Oh, well, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? I um, use it as often as possible. <laughs> Lincoln's body was viewed uh, by hundreds of thousands of mourners across the country as his funeral train carried him from DC home to Springfield, Illinois, where he is buried today. And we just saw the painting that hung above his casket during that funeral uh, parade. Yes. Uh, it's now hanging at the Benjamin Harrison home here in Indianapolis. That's right. That was a really cool aspect that we're going to oh, dive into. Yeah. It was awesome. Man. <laughs> Uh, Booth also, we should mention, he escaped capture for 12 days until April 26th, 1865, when he was cornered and shot in a Virginian tobacco barn. And they um, burned it, right? Correct. Yeah. Yes. Let's dive into Lincoln's legacy. We talked, he's a little bit, I mean, gosh. Uh, you How know, much time do we have? Yeah, right. He's like this martyr hero. It's interesting to think, too, of like what he added to the national oratory, mm-hmm. his speeches, far yeah. more than his writings. But I well, mean- yeah, because there's so many of his speeches that are quoted. You know, four score and seven years yep. ago. You know. Also, the Civil War was a significant force in the dominance of referring to it as the United States as opposed to these United States. Oh, yeah. Kind of interesting. Also, his presidency was not just about the Civil War. I mean, that's what consumed a lot of it. But he appointed abolitionists to the Supreme Court. He instituted the nation's first income tax. And he also created the Department of Agriculture. He gave uh, us Hannibal Hanlon. He did. <laughs> Thank you, Maine, by the way. Yeah, Let's that guy. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, Hannibal I, Hanlon. He's I've my never new heard of favorite him. vice president. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. Russ just bringing the heat over there. Yeah. Lincoln also proclaimed a national day of Thanksgiving as an institutional tradition huh. for the first time on the final Thursday of November 1863. So next Thank time you for one of the most confusing holidays on the planet. <laughs> Go ahead. Like, Why is it confusing? Go ahead. Because like, nobody ever knows what day it is. Like, oh, it's on a Thursday. Like it's the, the Cowboys are playing. It's the final Thursday of November. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> you, will, you will like this quote, I think. As I, as I was looking at Lincoln's many quotes that he made, I, I thought of you when I, when I read this one. Nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Oh, yeah. Nope. That's good. Isn't that great? That's really good. Yeah. I I was like, oh, Blaine's going to like that one. Yeah. According to C-SPAN's Presidential Historian Survey, which we often refer to in in our episodes, Lincoln sits at number one and has sat there since 2000. 
So wait, he wasn't number one before two. Well, I think that's when they started, started the C-SPAN's okay. presidential yeah. historian so survey. Yeah. That's important. That's an important note, <laughs> right? It's yeah. not like at some point in two thousand, people were like, "Actually, I like this Lincoln guy." <laughs> yeah, I think it was uh, Abraham Abraham. Is that how you say yeah. it? It's often yeah, like Lincoln, Washington, FDR. Yeah, you know, and sometimes the order shifts, but Lincoln's been the guy. Okay, so complete the sentence. Abraham Lincoln is the reason the United States. Ooh, well, is. Together. Mm. I mean, I think that's the easy answer, right? It's because I think that under a lot of different leadership, we don't, we're, we're two countries yeah, or, or possibly even more because right. I, I, I really think that had the South won, they would have fractured even more. They yeah. would have said, well, this is now an easy out. Mm. So if we don't like what our Confederate States are doing, we'll, mm-hmm create our own country. So if you say Washington formed the country, granted mm-hmm. not the only one, but formed the country, Lincoln saved it, preserved yeah. it. Yeah. 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 I mean, Buchanan would have just let them go. He yeah. did. Yeah. It's really interesting to think of like, if you're, if you're thinking of the 1850s, 60s as a mountain range, you've got Buchanan on one side of Lincoln and, and, and Lincoln Johnson. is the Everest of yeah. you know American presidents, and then you got Johnson you got on the other side. Two valleys and a yeah. mountain. I mean, that's Seriously. a really good. Yeah. That's a really good way to put it, Ryan. Yeah. Like, kudos to you for thinking of that. I enjoy a good metaphor. Who who are the spurs <laughs> in that mountain? We've got the two valleys. Who are the spurs? What do you mean by spurs? Well, like the, I mean, the, the other spurs, ridges? like the the thing into the mountain that mm. kind of cuts into it. So the everybody knows what a valley is. Sure, right? that's a good question. Well, and you're using Afghanistan references, too, <laughs> oh, where you've served so in the mountains. It's... You've served in the spurs of... I don't no. know. Who would you say? Oh, I, I I just wanted to use the term. I like it. <laughs> we'll keep it in. Yeah, I, I agree, Blaine. Without Lincoln, we would not have the United States of America as we know it today. I mean, that's really this overarching question of this entire journey of learning about these presidents is how did they... How did each single individual leave their mark on the nation whether yeah, it was legislation I, or an act or of you know fighting a war or whatever it was but like lincoln is and i think there's a lot more people that leave things to be desired right like so we talked about in the william henry harrison episode yeah right like the country could look a lot different mm-hmm. had william henry harrison yep. been the president because then in the mexican-american war with the general at the helm yep. like we could have a lot more in mexico he could yeah. have been much more aggressive had the civil war started four years earlier mm-hmm. in under buchanan or had Pierce. lincoln yeah. been assassinated on his way to the white house yeah and old hannibal is the president right like right. who knows then you know we, there's so many questions yeah and this one it's a we had the right person at the right time. Amen. Yeah, I think that's why I'm such a big Lincoln fan. I mean, when we began this journey, you you said, don't tell me yet, but I want to ask you eventually who's your favorite president. I think it's still up to this point, Lincoln. Now, granted, I'm on book 31, and we're recording now, episode 16. You're you're on Kennedy. He was 35. 35, yeah. yeah. So he's still got a ways to go. But It's funny because when people ask me that question, I tell them there's different buckets, right? Sure. I think that there's, there's presidents that I've been not even pleasantly surprised by, but I've just been really interested in their story. Yeah. Not necessarily think they're my favorite because of anything, but because the story was really It's just a fascinating yeah. biography. Lincoln's a strong two for me. I yeah. still, Theodore Roosevelt's still my favorite president. I can't exactly pinpoint why. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I think there's an element too for me of, 
you know, Lincoln didn't just win the war. He fought it, obviously, to preserve the Union first and foremost, but it did become the aim to abolish slavery. Yeah. And uh, for times like that, you need a very strong leader. I mean, just think if only one of his tasks was to preserve the Union. Yeah. Let alone, you know, end the slavery issue. Yeah. And a strong leader with weak subordinates. Yeah. To be frank. And here's the deal. No one is perfect. Yeah. No, no, no president is perfect, but there's a reason why Lincoln stands for as long as he has it, number one. This is sort of an alternate universe question, but it's one that I was thinking about. Theoretically, what would have happened if Grant would have been there that night at Ford's Theater? Well. You know, what if Booth had taken them both out? What if Lincoln what if he had stopped it? That's what, the other what if question. the assassination was stopped and Lincoln yeah. actually served a full second term? Yeah. I mean, that's another. Well, there's actually a, a pretty strong contingent of people that think that Lincoln would have been impeached had he served a second hmm. term. I don't know if that, like, validity yeah. of that is. Johnson did get impeached twice. Now, granted, it was for completely different reasons, but there there are people that think that had Lincoln served a second yeah. term, he would have been impeached. There is something to be said for dying young. Yeah, he was um, 56. There's he, a, he did there, there is a way to preserve your legacy in, yeah. in dying young. He suspended habeas corpus earlier in the year, which mm-hmm. caught him a lot of flack. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just in the press, but from, from legislators back in the day. Doing what he had to do as commander-in-chief, apparently. Let's dive into some little-known facts. Yes. This is one of our favorite segments of the Presequential Podcast. You had mentioned that he is in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. Yeah. He once challenged a crowd saying, quote, I'm the big buck of this lick. If any of you want to try it, come on and wet your horns. There's a really cool, and I'm going to give a free ad here to a local t-shirt company called the United State of Indiana, and they have a really cool t-shirt with Lincoln's famous portrait, Yeah, but he has the ultimate warrior paint. (laughs) Fun. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And it's, uh, I think it's USI.com or maybe UnitedStateOfIndiana.com. I don't remember exactly the website, but you can find it online. That's cool. Um, they, They really homage both you know, one of our presidents and his wrestling background. I love that, man. If you think about Lincoln, you think about how, I mean, obviously successful he was at winning the war and abolishing slavery, et cetera, et cetera. But it's really interesting to dive into how many failures he had in his life. Oh, man. Yeah. He lost five elections before. I mean, he uh, lost a Senate race and then immediately started running for president. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, right. He also, in his presidential run, it only took three votes to make him the Republican candidate. Prior to that, like, it took Buchanan and... Pierce. Pierce, like, 50. Yeah, right. Like, it took three. Three. And this is a guy that just lost the Senate race. Right. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He was the first president to be photographed at his inauguration. You can actually see John John Wilkes Wilkes Booth Booth, standing close to Lincoln in the picture. Uh, Seething. Seething, just plotting. He also had the biggest feet of any president to date. He was a size 14 and was the tallest of any president, 6'5". Yeah, not shocking. He was the tallest. Of course, he's going to have the biggest feet. Although he was very tall, he was also very quite thin and gangly and really only weighed about 180 pounds consistently throughout his life. Hmm. So he's a very... Very skinny. Very lanky, skinny yeah. guy. He was the only president to apply for a patent in March of 1849. Oh, yeah. For the his... Boat, inv- right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I don't... I, oh. that, that's, I just remember it was for something on a like a boat, like yes. a schooner. So it was for his invention to help lift boats that's over right. sandbars yeah. or shoals. Lincoln's model and his drawings are now on display in the Smithsonian in D.C. 
The U.S. issued paper currency during his administration for the first time, known as greenbacks, printed in green on the reverse side. Lincoln has been on the penny since what year? 1909. Okay. And the $5 bill since 1914. He has been memorialized in many towns, city, and county names, of course, including the capital of Nebraska. I have run the Lincoln Marathon four times now. Tell us a little bit about it. It is, well, <laughs> this isn't going to be a ringing endorsement. Go ahead. The National Guard uh, Marathon Championships are there every year. I've run, like I said, four years there. It is an interesting uh, course. So the first half of the marathon, you run through the city of Lincoln. It's relatively nice. It's shaded. And then you run by Cornhusker Stadium or Nebraska Stadium, whatever they call the football stadium. Yeah. And then it opens up and you run out six and a half miles past the zoo. You <sighs> run around a little pond and then you come back. It is all it's always in the 70s and 80s and oh, it's gosh. hot and it's miserable no shade and yeah no shade <laughs> uh it's right about the time the sun comes out it, like this year i was running near a guy who was cursing literally cursing oh. the sun like now you want to come out you want to be shaded while i was in the trees and now you want to come out uh but then you finish on the 50 yard line of cord oh that's cool yeah so that's, that's cool. pretty cool but i'm in commemoration wearing one of my lincoln marathon I shirts. Like my one of my favorite t-shirts is from the lincoln marathon it's got lincoln with like the classic tricolor sweatband yeah. around his head like the red white and blue that's fun and it says one score and 6.2 miles ago <laughs> that's great <laughs> so oh that's yeah. fun lincoln always lincoln nebraska holds a special place in my heart there you go lincoln suffered from migraine headaches and depression or melancholy as it was called in his time and would sometimes spend days in bed while president at the white house at the white house the lincolns had many pets including rabbits turkeys horses, and two goats named Nanny and Nanco. <laughs> <laughs> well, they Link gave away Fido. Like, real, they were real good at naming animals. <laughs> Fido. Get out of here. Lincoln had a hard time saying no to his children, apparently, when they wanted to add a new animal oh, to the yeah. family. <laughs> when one of Lincoln's cats, Tabby, jumped up on the table during a formal dinner, Mary was horrified to see him feed the cat with his fork. But Lincoln didn't care. He said, if the gold fork was good enough for Buchanan, I think it's good enough <laughs> for Tabby. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> oh, it's so great. Uh, Lincoln once held a reception for the two-foot, 11-inch-tall Charles Stratton. From uh, you know P.T. Barnum? P.T. Barnum. Yeah. Russ, you're buzzing in your Jeopardy buzzer. Yeah. What, what was he otherwise known as? General Tom Thumb. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So General Tom Thumb of the P.T. Barnum Circus and his diminutive wife, Lavinia Wolverine. Warren, also, what? What? Wolverine? His diminutive wife. No, no. Wolverine. Lavinia Warren. Uh, what's his name? The Hugh the Jackman. Austri yeah, Hugh, Hugh Jackman. Jackman. He, this he is the greatest yeah. show. Yeah, he was P.T. Barnum. So the two of them, these, these very sm two small people in the national spotlight, get married. And it is like, <laughs> it's a big deal. Like, they they, they, they get married. Barnum the original TLC show. <laughs> Barnum small people, big oh, deal. Little, little people, big circus. So... Barnum charges like 75 bucks a ticket to attend, attend this wedding, right? And then they go on a honeymoon tour. And one of the stops is the White House, yeah, where President Lincoln... Didn't exploit him at all. Host them. Can you imagine 6'5 Lincoln wearing an 8-inch top hat? And here, here, Tom. Get in my hat. <laughs> Just come on up here. For my next trick. Just jump in my... I'll pull this man out of my hat. 
Um, and then he was like, oh, that lady's got a beard like me. <laughs> I'll be here all night. I'm Abe Lincoln. Thank you. <laughs> I'm Abe Lincoln. Thank you. <laughs> that got me. <laughs> Check out my Netflix special. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, God, that's great. So Mary, Mary loved it. Uh, apparently the president was very dignified, treated them with tons of respect, and very gracefully held the so, hand of Lavinia Warren. But his son, Robert, said, this is not dignified for the White House. Like, I'm not doing this. And he did not attend. Okay. Oh, man, that was great. Uh, <laughs> Lincoln was shot the same day that he signed the bill that formed the Secret Service. Oh, well, yeah, so the Secret Service was formed to prevent counterfeit money in yes. the Confederate States after the Civil War. A highly so prevalent issue at the time. What a lot of people don't understand is that most Secret Service agents now are actually fraud agents. So most people like associate the Secret Service with protecting the president. Right. They were actually originally designed to prevent fraud. Part so of the, the Treasury, right? Yes. Yeah, so mm-hmm. the majority of Secret Service agents still to this day are fraud investigators. Yeah. After Lincoln's assassination is when they became presidential, like, detail. Yes. I think in 1901 is when they be, were given the responsibility. The official. Yeah. Yes, Because officially. before that, they were just lifeguards. So They had to make sure correct. he didn't, like, drown in the <laughs> yeah, pool. Exactly. It's all about <laughs> swimming. So this is what's crazy. So he signs the bill the same day that he's killed. Secret Service came to Lincoln's protection only in death several decades later. So in 1876, there's a gang of these Chicago counterfeiters attempted to snatch Lincoln's body from his tomb, which was protected by only a single padlock, which you would think we want to protect him a little bit better. So this scheme in Springfield was to hold the corpse for ransom for $200,000 and obtain the release of their gang's best counterfeiter from prison, right? So Secret Service agents, though, step in. They infiltrate the gang and were lying in wait to disrupt the operation. Lincoln's body was then quickly moved to an unmarked grave and eventually encased in everything it's encased in now. Hmm. So Secret Service comes in, what, 1865 minus 76. That's uh, 21 years later. Wow. Yeah, kind of crazy. Okay, this is crazy about his son, Robert, and his connection to the Booth family. Get ready for this. Okay. Okay. Buckle up. So a few months before Booth assassinates Lincoln, the president's oldest son, Robert Todd, stood on a train platform in Jersey City, New Jersey. There was this huge group of passengers beginning to press on the young man, and he presses him backwards. He falls into the open space between the platform and a moving train. Suddenly, a hand reaches out, pulls the president's son to safety by the coat collar. Robert Todd immediately recognized the rescuer, famous actor Edwin Booth, brother of John Wilkes Booth. And in another... So we're even now. (laughs) This is a debt being paid in the future. There's another crazy, eerie coincidence. So on the day of Edwin Booth's funeral, June 9th, 1893, Ford's Theater collapses, killing 22 people inside. Wasn't his son at a famous assassination too? So he... Thank you for that amazing segue, Blaine. Okay. So Robert is in Washington when his father is killed. He was also on the scene when President James Garfield was yes. shot in 1881 and when President By that McKinley. Nut job. Oh gosh, he yeah. was crazy. When President McKinley was assassinated in 1901, he was also there. 
So Robert is said to have refused a later presidential invitation with the comment, no, I'm Sorry, not going. I want you to live. <laughs> and they'd better not ask me because there is a certain fatality about presidential functions when I am president. Man, imagine living with that from Isn't a that crazy, health man? standpoint. Oh, my god! One, you're the yeah. only living child. And you're there. You witnessed. A, oh, boy. He didn't witness his dad die. But, but he was still, there to see him pass. Yeah. But then two other presidents. Garfield and... McKinley. McKinley, Good yeah. gracious. Wow. Like... Like, stay away from Bob. It's a little crazy. Okay, this is, this is pretty cool. This is the last fun fact. After Lincoln's fateful night at Ford's Theater, Congress hired an 18-year-old art prodigy from Wisconsin, I believed, named Lavinia Ream to create a memorial statue of the fallen president, making her the youngest artist and the first woman to receive a commission from the U.S. government. Though she had already proved that she could create a remarkable likeness of Lincoln in bust form, so Lincoln in, like, 1864 sat with her for half an hour Hour every day for five months. Wow. wow. While she formed a bust of like chest up to his head. Yeah. And he used this time to just re- really relax. Yeah. You know, reflect. Just be <clears throat> quiet meditate. in the midst of everything that was going on. And not everyone on this commission, though, was convinced that Lavinia could be up to the task of sculpting a full-length version of the president. There was a senator named Jacob Merritt Howard of Michigan, and he said, this is... Just listen to this quote here. Having in view the youth and inexperience of Miss Ream, and I will go further and say having in view her sex, I shall expect a complete failure in the execution of this work. This is, again, Senator Jacob Howard of Michigan. Yeah, yep. totally, it's always Michigan. Totally stepping on yeah. it. Because check this out. It young, became the Lincoln Monument. No, no, no. Young yeah. Lavinia Ream has the last laugh. Her beautiful work of our 16th president graces the Capitol Rotunda to this day. <laughs> Isn't that Take cool? That, Michigan. Isn't that cool? <laughs> and it's beautiful. You can look it up. Her name again, Lav- Lavinia, L-A-V-I-N-I-A, Reem, R-E-A-M. It's there in the Capitol, and it's absolutely huh. beautiful. Yeah. She was 18 when she did it. Wow. wow. Isn't that cool? That's incredible. Do you have any other I thought you were known? going with like a paper reference there. No. A ream of paper. Yeah. No. You got it. Have you guys ever been to the Lincoln Memorial? Oh, yeah. 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 It's ama- His statue is huge. It's, it's yeah. massive. Mm-hmm. And I think on one side, it's the Gettysburg Address, and on the other, it's the I think it's second inaugural? I don't remember. Okay. Yeah. There's a really cool picture I saw online that before the rest of the mall was really built up, it's just like this Greek-looking temple yeah. in the middle of Swamp, Washington, D.C. It's in the I, background of Forrest Gump. It is. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Jay! Yeah. The forest. Pl- <laughs> That's what it is. It's Jenny running up the forest. The planning began for the monument in 1867. Construction wouldn't actually begin until 1914, and it was open to the public in 1922. Robert Todd Lincoln was in attendance for that, which is and pretty cool. And then somebody got assassinated. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> he was he was there. Somebody died. Yes. And in <clears throat> 1963, so that's almost, that's 100, let me think about this, 98 years. Yeah. From the death of Lincoln was when Forrest Gump gave his speech. <laughs> I was going to go the war with, and Viet freaking Nam. I was going to go with MLK. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to go with Tom Hanks, that's fine. Made of course his make famous, me look like the bad guy. <laughs> I have a dream speech during the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. Uh, do you have any other little known facts that you found? 
No, that Russ, was any, a you, deep, you, deep dive. It's it's honestly the deepest dive we've gone on Little Known yeah, Facts for, for any sure. president. <laughs> yeah. I mean, good gracious, there's a ton of them. Well, guys, this was so much fun. Opening yeah. season two. Oh, my gosh. With just a barn burner. Yeah. Um, I mean, all offense to John Wilkes Booth in using yeah. that reference. <laughs> Thank you <laughs> for listening to the Presequential Podcast. If you love this episode, please subscribe. Follow us wherever you get your podcast. Share it with a fellow history buff. Please leave a review because that really does help us get mm-hmm. in the ears and phones and laptops of many other people. And go order some Greeks pizza yeah. at greekspizzeria.com. That's right. Our next episode on 17th President Andrew Johnson will be released on Wednesday, September 1st, 2021. In the meantime, you can follow us on all the socials at Presequential and be sure to check out our generous sponsors as well. We hope you enjoyed our season two opener, episode 16, The Rail Splitter on Abraham Lincoln, the Presequential Podcast. <laughs>